what's going on with the kids and this Adderall. Hot gay men or hot women. It's not me saying this. It's the science. We're about to have two sheep. It freaks me. It just it weighs on me really heavily. Anyways. The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. So Adderall. So Adderall. Adderall. A little bit of Adderall. There's an epidemic, they say, of Adderall in this country. Um, yeah, you can't find it. I've t- I've called pharmacies. I'm not, I was, as I was saying, I'm not on Adderall. I go off and on it throughout my life. But I'm. it's a drug. It's a recreational drug. They say it's a prescription drug. That's fine. It's recreational because it's fun. Uh, and it makes you hyper and really effective for the most part if you don't take too much. Um, makes you really capable of like hyper focusing. Uh, increases like stamina, the duration of time you can do anything, whether it's reading a book, writing a paper, working in the yard, organizing mm. your Tupperware. Like it has that effect. You will get jacked on Adderall. You can't take Adderall at l- dinner time, as I was saying, and then go to bed that night. So it's an amphetamine, and it's usually prescribed for ADHD, and the main effect you were saying is that it helps you do anything for longer, but also it's used widely recreationally. It makes you hyper. Well, yeah, because it's like there's there's this misnomer, like side effects of a drug are often just the effects of the drug. The desired like, and undesired effects. <laughs> Right, they're they're all just effects, and anything right. that goes into your mouth, what even if it's an antibiotic, it's a systemic thing. You go, you're taking it into your body, and it disperses in your body if it's having an effect. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, so there may be the desired effect is the stimulant effect, but there's also all sorts of other effects on your vasculatory system, your pulmonary, every system really, or every system in your body is affected by most drugs but especially Adderall right so you said you were on and off why uh, why were you on and off of the drug well because I was put on it very young because this is what I think happens people how young this is, this is what this is what they say I don't know very young elementary school oh wow but it wasn't Adderall there's like there was like Ritalin and all these different ones that I've been on and uh, the best is Vyvanse in case you're wondering and <laughs> Although it's a little more difficult to abuse, but not really because it's so powerful. But if you like hardcore and you like to smoke your Adderall, uh, which I've known people like this or like snort it, you really don't want to do that with Vyvanse. They call it a pro drug. What? For that reason, that it's like harder to abuse, supposedly. Because it li- lists, uh, Vyvanse is lysthexamphetamine, which is the LYS part of that word is represents the lysine molecule. And then. The next part is dex, and then that's uh, a full, well, dexamphetamine is like a type of amphetamine. And I think ultimately that also, get, that bond also gets broken. But the theory with the lysine being bonded, which is a protein, you can like get lysine pills even and take mm-hmm. them as a supplement, is that before that dexamphetamine molecule becomes available and active, your liver has to break the, the lysine bond 
off mm, of them mm, amphetamine mm-hmm. molecules. So basically, you're taking dexamphetamine or just an amphetamine bonded so, to a, and then, a lysine. <laughs> and then Adderall, actually, fun, more fun nomenclature, uh, is ADD. E R A L L, and I don't know if this was on purpose, but the general Adderall, because there is fast-acting Adderall, hmm. but ADD is the illness supposedly. E R, I always assume, stood for extended release, because that's the primary capsule form of Adderall, and then A L L all, because Adderall is actually pretty much all the different amphetamine salts that they have tried. <laughs> In one pill, so it's dexamphetamine. Uh, I, I you could look it up. It's like multiple different forms of amphetamine salts, just all at once, just which is probably why it feels a little more dirty than uh, Vyvanse, which is a much cleaner feeling because it's just lysine bonded to dexamphetamine. So you're not mm. being like pummeled. So what much. do you mean by it, that? Like dirty versus clean feeling? Um, like if you get meth and they put like ant killer like raid in it or something you're not gonna feel you'll get like the effects of the amphetamines but you'll also probably get some like icky feeling from the ant killer no i've never done that but they can they do there is a version mm. that they just spray oh, okay. ant killer onto like a screen and then hook it to a battery and it crystallizes and stuff like that but but basically the feeling itself is cleaner like you feel a little more so you know if you have like a good night's rest and a vitamin b12 in the morning and a Mm -hmm. big glass of water and you just feel good you're like man i feel great like i'm i'm this rarely (laughs) happens to me so i'm just identifying this feeling where maybe some people wake up this way every day i'm it's like once a month maybe for me where i'm like holy shit i slept and you just feel good you know you're like this is i've got energy i don't feel tired anymore i'm ready to go that's a good Mm -hmm. feeling you can also wake up and be like okay and then drink like two or three cups of coffee. And then maybe your coffee was a little strong and you're like up and you're going a little bit and you're kind of bouncing around, but you're like kind of mm. a little foggy, but you're like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, oh, ooh. you know, you still have all that energy. Like you're still getting, you're still like stimulated and all that, but you don't feel quite as good. And then you start coming down off of it eventually and the crash kind of feels like a little foggy and you know, like a little, like you want to like rub your face really hard. You're like, oh God, what's wrong with me? Okay. Uh, like the, all that is like I think of as like a dirty drug experience, you know. Oh, okay, okay. Versus the the clean, the just waking up in the morning. So that's the Vivance. Vivance is pretty smooth. Like it's up. It, this is my experience in Vivance. It starts out fine. Euphoria builds gradually. You peak out. The problem with Vivance is the peak is really high. Mm. And, what, so, and I don't care if people are listening and they're like, no, it's not. Fuck you. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's really high, especially on the higher doses of it. And then you come down gradually because of this like metabolism based, you know, access to the molecule. Why don't we hear about Vyvanse as much? You know, you hear a lot about Adderall. Because it's $300 a prescription oh. without insurance. And if you don't have good insurance... Your insurance doesn't want you to take a, a Vyvanse because it's so fucking expensive. How much is Adderall comparatively? Also hundreds of dollars if you want the brand. But now that it's off patent, you can get the cheaper version for like 10, 15, 20 bucks a bottle versus oh. 
250 300 whereas Viment is like 250 350 i mean it gets really expensive depending on where you are right which is right. why i don't have any now like i don't take it all the time but i gen- i used to just get the prescriptions filled it's like why wouldn't you when i had insurance and uh then that shortage thing happened i don't know how long ago it feels like it's been forever now and i was calling i'd called different pharmacy pharmacies and at first they were like kind of didn't want us to talk about it too much but eventually i think it lasted so long they were like we don't have it and they would just right. tell you like there's none here like it does like there's no risk of us being like we haven't so i called one and they were like we haven't had that since like this year like we haven't even oh, had wow. it at all and i was like well do you have anything and some of them would be like well we have brand names do you have insurance i'd be like no and they're like well it's gonna be a couple hundred dollars for because i would get two things filled or whatever and it would be like hundreds of dollars so. Just so people know, there's like a national shortage of Adderall, I guess, currently going on. And I looked into it briefly. It was big news yeah. a couple months ago. Now it's like not no one's talking about it, but I don't think it's relented that much. Yeah, well, I looked into it, and I think because it's a you know, medical substance, it's controlled the production of it. And so I think the way that works is they have to forecast, like medical professionals or people in administrative positions have to forecast like how much of a drug should be produced during a year. And so they kind of underestimated how much should be produced and there's been an increase in production demand because of all these people who want Adderall and more so than they had planned to produce and because it's not essentially a free market system where they could just ramp up production to meet demand, uh, we have this shortage, which is kind of interesting just in and of itself. I mean, it is weird. I I wonder if it's not a manufactured shortage. I think there's contributing factors. I mean, there's like all this home stay-at-home work stuff uh, people are a little maybe more distractible at home because there's other things to do other than work. I think there's also the this whole and a lot of them have kind of rearranged what they will and won't sell and do. But these like better help type uh, services yeah. where you can just like have a 10 minute. It was not a 10 minute phone conversation for me to get Adderall. It was a whole nightmare when I went back years and years mm-hmm. later and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'll just try to get that filled again because I was having some times at work and whatnot. And I had to take like this $400 like Scantron test and like do all this different testing for, through a psychologist, which was not easy to do because psychologists are usually booked up. You have to get a referral, yada, yada, yada. And so I went, I found this one that I had, this psychologist I had had when I was like two I mean, like, not really, but like, so young, like, I didn't even rem- remember the guy, you know. <laughs> I was but I knew his toddler. <laughs> but I knew his name, and I found him. Yes, exactly. My God, isn't and, that wrong? What do you think about that? Like, you were prescribed it when you were in elementary school, and obviously, lots of young people, more so than ever before, are being prescribed Adderall and being diagnosed with ADD, and you know, the prescription comes as a consequence of that. But. Uh, yeah, what are, what are your thoughts? I, I'm curious in your experience taking it, and then I was also curious in, like, the on and off, like, why you came on and off. Like, you just kind of mentioned, too, the, you know, you came back on it when you're having a bad time. If you don't think it's right to give your child a Benadryl to go to sleep, if you don't think it's right to give your child an Ambien to go to sleep, a shot of liquor to go to sleep, a beer to go to sleep, I don't know why the fuck you would think it's okay to give them legal methamphetamines to wake up or to do other things you want them to do. Like sit down for extended mm-hmm. periods of time, eight hours a day at eight years old, learning fuck all at public school. Like 
that's ridiculous. I think it's criminal. And that what I just explained reveals something. The fact that you won't give your kid a shot of Jack Daniels to go to sleep, but you will give them something equally as dangerous, equally as addictive, equally as damaging, equally as detrimental to your health. Mm, mm. Then that is criminal. That level of cognitive dissonance. impairment or dissonance, whatever you want to call it, is completely absurd to me, and I do not understand it. Well, I think people are probably like, you know, the medical professionals are condoning this, and it's almost like, you just engage with thinking about it at that point because you're like, well, someone who's more experienced and knows more about this topic than me has already thought about it and said that this is a good thing. You know, they're literally recommending it for my child. Yeah, um, that is stupid to think that way because those people that create these products and then sell them for, let me tell you this. They say drugs have to be expensive because of how much testing and how hard it is to develop them. The R&D It was not research, that difficult yeah. to put lysine on an amphetamine salt that's been used for a hundred years as a stimulant drug, that was not that difficult, okay? It does not require those pills to be sold in quantities that would blow your mind for for hundreds of dollars. per. You know what kind of things you can buy for three prescriptions? So you pay for three prescriptions of something that costs them 10 cents to produce and you could have a down payment on a fucking car, okay? You could have a tractor. You could what just add up 300 times, you know, God. a year and then figure out how much money those people are getting from one patient per year and uh, then ask yourselves if you trust those that kind of a person. If that person's similar to you, if you think they care about you, no. I mean, that it's yeah. an industry. It's like Coca-Cola. It's like the cigarette. It's literally the exact same, if not more nefarious, as the cigarette company saying that doctors, nine out of 10 doctors recommend that pregnant women smoke cigarettes in the 50s. Yeah. You know, that's the same level of stupidity that mm. people are engaging when and when they believe that these pharmaceutical companies are out there for the primary purpose of improving your health. Yeah. Which yeah, Adderall well, is not even for. Yeah, I was going to say, we can be a little parsimonious there too because it gets a little complicated, I guess, where the scientists and the you doctors are, yeah, yeah, a little bit different than like the companies. But I, I agree with you because the companies end up, they end up having control over the doctors. Is Dr. Fauci and, a, a scientist? I mean, if he is, then he's the problem. And well, I don't mean him. I mean clearer. like the doctor that you oh, go other to doctors. that prescribes you the other medication. Other doctors like, that they make don't even $400,000 a year. No, no, those people are idiots. Don't trust your fucking doctor. Those people don't know anything. Those people watch football in the evening. You know, they're just regular people that took enough tests and mm. paid enough money to go to school to like think of the if you have a degree, like I have two degrees and I do not consider myself an expert in either field. All that I know is a little a, like and let me tell you, a little bit more than the average person who does not care about those subjects. Now, the average person who's of equal intelligence, who's mildly like has a hobby in psychology and philosophy, probably knows more than I do in those fields just based on reading books because of their interest than mm -hmm. I know based on going to college for four years and getting two degrees in those subjects. 
You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like I'm yeah. not like, and it's not because I didn't work. I worked harder and was smarter than most kids, most of the people in my classes. And I'm just saying that as a fact, like, I'm not saying like I'm smart. I'm saying most people are just going through the motions, including your doctors. Of yeah. course they are. Of course they yeah. are. I know people that have become doctors. Yeah. And he's so normal and he's open-minded guy. So, but, and, but the more he learns, the more indoctrinated he becomes. But you could have a conversation about some medical thing that you found out that would surprise him. Yeah. Well, that's my point is that they're literally getting indoctrinated by the medical exactly. companies who come and teach them everything about the drugs because they don't learn all of this and you can't learn all of this even in school. And the like, people that come to talk to them are what's known as, no, not a scientist, not a medical professional, but a salesperson. Right. And right, they are usually right. hot gay men or hot women. <laughs> that are selling pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, you ever seen someone in a nice suit come into the doctor's office while you're waiting and they look really good and they have a briefcase and they know the people at the front by name? That is a salesperson. <laughs> and, that brief, and that briefcase <laughs> is full of slides that they made and samples of pills for them to give out to people. Right, because the more they sell, the bigger the commission they get, they're personally incentivized. And yeah, yeah, it's a whole industry. Yeah, I was just going to make and those salespeople point. make good money too. They're not right, like, right. they're not like AT&T cell phone salespeople. These are like six figure salespeople. Well, I wanted to go back. So you were saying it was, uh, you know, maybe criminal to give it to your kids. So I was curious, yeah, what are your experiences on it being young and then as an adult and maybe how did it affect you? Who knows? As a kid, I don't know because I can't remember. But I do remember being a highly emotional child, probably always, which is probably, so there's like this chicken egg conundrum where it's like, was he wild and emotional before or after the Adderall? Well, it's probably a combination because probably the reason you thought maybe he needs to be on some drugs is because I was a little bit wild and emotional. But then you put somebody on a drug whose primary effects are psychological and emotional. Mm. And then you try to figure out life on the up and down of amphetamines and the up and down of childhood depression and shame spirals that are exacerbated because like you were, you would talk, okay, you talked about MDMA, you take MDMA and then you have this come down and it's horrible. You can, yeah, especially if it's got kind of, I guess what you would say, dirty, if it's got other things in it. Like sometimes most MDMA that you get on the street, ecstasy has, yeah, meth and stuff in it, which makes the come down worse. So there uh, you have it. That's the type of experience I'm talking about. So you, mm. as a child, someone is just like, just do it. The doctor said you can't be explained the concepts of why Wait, you need to take it. So does Adderall have a bad come down? It has a come down. And part of the come down is simply the difference in experience. So it's mm -hmm. like saying, does coffee have a come down? Like once you're used to it, not so bad, but like actually, yeah, it does. You just are, don't notice it so badly anymore. Mm. And some people get crazy. They drink one coffee. I mean, when you first start drinking coffee or you first start smoking cigarettes or anything, you don't, you can't do like three mm. or mm. you, you'd be like, wow, I almost died on that coffee, <laughs> you know, or those cigarettes I almost literally, th I threw up because I smoked three cigarettes in a row my right, first time. Yeah. yeah. But then eventually you get used to it. Now, does that mean that, oh, but now the co once you drink coffee 10 times, the 
molecular structure of coffee in the universe actually changes and then no longer has those effects anymore. No, of course they continue to have those effects. Mm, yeah. You just become accustomed to them. It's like people who stay up too late or drink every day, like myself. Like I know that I'm a, that I don't get as good as sleep. You know, I know there's effects of it, even though I can handle it better. Mm. You know, I know yeah. that drinking five beers in a day is just as bad for me as it was the first day I started drinking. But five beers now will make me throw up, whereas one and a half beers would give me a hangover for a week when I first started drinking. This is and I had that experience like I felt sick. You know, so like yeah. those things are still happening to you. So it's like you're almost saying it's like a destabilizing force or can be in childhood, uh, like where you're already in a period of a lot of change and trying to figure things out. And maybe this can add to the complexity and destabilize you even further, which is interesting, despite the fact because it's in maybe contrast to the fact that it's recommended as like this is going to stabilize your child. Like this is going to help. Well, it does. But it's artificial because it's like you have to ask yourself, why are these kids getting put on this? I all every t- nine times out of 10, it is because every child, this is not new information, but every student is asked to do the exact same thing. Every child, all in synchrony, no natural timing at all. It's all done by the calendar and by the clock and by the times and by the, the length of your life and etc. Everyone goes to school and does the exact same thing at school. You all sit there for hours and hours and hours. In the middle of the day, they try to tie you out with some recess, a little little change of pace, come back in and do hours and hours and hours. Eight to nine hours a day from from the time you enter kindergarten to the time you become a man or woman. You are sitting in a room in a building made of white painted cinder blocks and linoleum tile floor yeah, just completely unnatural yeah, environment. Completely. If you're changing classes, when do you change classes? Just It's just like prison. When the bell goes, now it's time to get everyone gets up in synchrony, marches to the next place. When you're in elementary school, they make you walk in a single file line. Don't touch the walls. Don't touch the stuff. Don't touch each other. Don't do anything except for walk in a line. Walk in the line. Then when you get to the next place, sit in the chair and do the same thing. Don't touch each other. Mm. Hips and lips. Sit on your hands. You know, it crisscross applesauce, hands in your lap, all this, you know, like that is completely abnormal. So does Adderall have a stabilizing effect? It appears to when you're forcing that regimen mm. and then you're going. Huh. It's like it helps you cope, maybe. Yeah. And and teachers, I'm sorry, are completely ridiculous. So there's a multifaceted thing, I believe, happening. Parents suck now because they're all watching fucking TV. They're giving their children little devices and distracting them no one's no one's doing good things no one's going out into the yard having activities finding hobbies doing brain building activities just anything to like inculcate something real in a, a human in 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 your child and then you have the teachers who are fully incapable of doing anything because they're told what not, th- They'll get fired if they don't adhere to the standards and whatnot. They're the ones that recommend the pills. Johnny's not really paying attention much. Maybe you should talk to the doctor. Mm. They could put him on a pharmaceutical. Which is true. They do get consulted sometimes. Like They even have to fill out evaluations on whether a child can get Adderall or whatnot. That's part of the prescription process. Yeah, so they're totally captured. So that whole system there is just fucked. I mean, it's totally messed up, in my opinion. Mm. And it's criminal because it's like... 
It's just full. It's totally wrong. Like it's totally unnatural. Who just 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 like this the basic description of the of the events and the scenario is horrifying. And then you're like, well, some kids reject this programming, and you go, well, I'll just put a pill in them. Mm, like these pills mm. will make you like if you tell someone sit down. Like I hate math. It was really hard for me. If I took Adderall, math got easier. I'm just telling you, it right. did. My, it, it allowed my brain to go down one of those tracks for long enough to get to the bottom of a problem that took three pages to do. You know what I mean? Like that's hard work. It's not. And I'll tell you this, it's not for everybody. What fucking kind of world. And do you expect that all of us are walking around knowing how to do trigonometric equations that take three pages of graph paper to figure the fuck out? First of all, you're forcing everyone to do that. And then even though that's unnatural that you're doing that 99% of them forget how to do that next semester right right you know what i mean like by next semester they're like i don't know how to get the volume of a cone i don't know anymore i forget that's bullshit i don't even need to yeah. know that i'm going to be a psychologist so the whole system to me is just a pr- so problematic yeah i thought you brought it up this way because that's been my suspicion about adderall is kind of like that it's actually just helping people cope with something unnatural and instead of looking at the deficiencies in our... It's cheating and it's inhibiting at the same time. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah so I think instead of yeah looking at our system and looking at its deficiencies and how it's not serving children, for example, if you just think about the prescription of Adderall for kids in the school system, it's like we're kind of like just addressing the symptoms, like kids are checking out, kids aren't doing well, and it's like, well, just give them Adderall. And it's like, well, no, that's not the proper answer. Like maybe the proper answer is this education that we're giving them, this environment that we're educating them in is not well aligned to what children need or uh, what's good for children. And so they're exhibiting all these negative consequences, like they can't focus. I mean, that's like literally the DSM, how you diagnose it. It's like all these things, they have to be negatively affecting you um, and for a persistent period of time so the person's not doing well. And uh, yeah, and I think too, it may be, this is the pernicious thing that I am curious about um is that maybe it's uh it's actually causing you to check out of your relationships and the more meaningful aspects of what's going on because if you think about like just kids sitting in you know the classroom or whatever and it's like okay we need to focus we need to do the math we need to calculate the volume do the trigonometry whatever and not that there's not a benefit to teaching math and whatnot but you know people's natural inclinations i think as a person are to be drawn toward and into relationships and kids want to play and kids want to talk to other kids and they they even like working together on projects and doing things as a group um and i think that's very natural and instead of you know kind of leveraging that to the best of our ability to educate kids and make it a productive use of their time and something that's really valuable instead we're like we give you a drug that will help you kind of tune that out, like tune that impulse out. That's a bad impulse because this is my thought too. Is like ADD or ADHD, attention deficit disorder or hyperactivity disorder. I don't even know what it means. Like maybe we're talking about focus, like a sustained duration, but I just find it suspicious. Attention deficit, like what does that mean? A deficit of attention, like all you are as a person is kind of attention. Like, how can you have a deficit of that? Like, you're always attending to something. Like, that's kind of what you are. Um, So I just think it's weird to say that you have a deficit of it. 
Now, you could say that maybe you can't have sustained attention on one thing, um, but I doubt that that's true for anyone because the same people who are being diagnosed with ADHD have things that they're really interested in, and they can sustain their attention for a long period of time on those things. So it's like what we're really talking about is that you won't focus on this one particular thing that we really want you to focus on. And to me, I just wonder, like, instead of saying, well, here's a drug to fix that, it's kind of like, why isn't the person wanting to focus on that? Like, maybe it's not good for them to focus on that. Maybe, like, it's literally a biological reaction to being like, that's not good for me. I need to get away from that. Like, that's not worth focusing on. That's not meaningful. And that's the kind of thing that I really worry about, that you may be tuning people out of the meaningful things or dampening their impulse to turn toward meaningful things and instead to focus on unmeaningful things. And the last thing I'll say about that is just this personal anecdote, which made me think about this a lot, is because someone, I talked about my MDMA experience, and I experienced another person who took MDMA who had taken Adderall for their whole life. And most people have a really transformative, loving experience on MDMA, literally used to treat PTSD. But this person who had taken Adderall had this experience that was like totally not like that. Like they did not have a loving experience. They did not have an open experience. They had an experience where they were like, I think I could do a lot of work right now. And I was like, what is going on? And the only real difference I felt between that person and me was like, I have never taken Adderall. I've never been prescribed amphetamines. Um, And this person had been taking them their whole life. And it had come with all of this cultural indoctrination. Like we're giving you this to like help you focus and we're giving you this to help you do work. You know, there's like all of this narrative attached to it. Um, and I I felt like in a way that that person had been robbed of some sort of really meaningful experience, like being drawn into relationships in a way that you maybe had never experienced before and they were not having that experience. And so that got me thinking about like, what's going on with the kids and this Adderall? Well, I mean, to each their own, but I think it does have like, so everyone will have their own experience on anything, whatever, who knows. But I think that Adderall does have that effect on people. It puts you, it brings you in, hyper-focuses you to the point where you block other stuff out. Hmm. Kim has an ex that used to be on some version of it, and she was not, like, privy to, like, how drugs work or what their effects are. She didn't do all that stuff. But she knew that when he took it, he would just, like, zone out or zone in, you know, but like mm. she could tell like you're something's wrong, like you're like dissociated or disconnected or something. So it does have that effect, but that's part of the desired effect is like, well, if you're sitting down and you're in class and you're distracted by everything and talking to your friends and doing this and doing that, well, if there's a pill we can give you to shut all that out and make you just do what we told you to do, and then you fish for the reward at the end of that, which is the sticker on the top of your page or whatever maybe there's some kind of way we could train you up like that with the help of this medication. But again, criminal. Yeah, but, well, that's... And here's another... Oh, can I just comment on that for a second? Because I think that's kind of, too, what I think a little bit about depression meds and whatnot. Like, if you, say, artificially manipulate someone's serotonin levels, which is what happens when you take uh, an SSRI, for example, which is, like, that's what Prozac is, um, common depression medication... Part of that is like you're literally altering and manipulating people's intrinsic biological systems. And so. And they have no effect. Well, that's what, another problem. Well, they just came out with that research that said, yeah, these don't do anything. Yeah, I think there's, yeah, there's been quite a body of research that's like if you compare it to other interventions like herbal supplements, like whatnot, and exercise, and they don't, 
typically find that SSRIs really do anything. Uh, yeah, I think the outcomes compared to doing nothing are pretty much the same. Oh, yeah. Well, so if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, you're manipulating people's intrinsic biological systems, and I think partly, like we know that serotonin and dopamine and these things are associated with like you know, activity, like moving towards goals and achieving your goals and the happiness and satisfaction that you get, like satiation when you achieve your goals and uh, the, you know, momentum toward and motivation toward achieving them. And so I think part of that is like all naturally occurring. Like when, you know, your serotonin goes down or whatever, it's like maybe a signal that whatever you're doing is not helping you move toward a valuable goal and that you should stop doing that. And the response you feel is like negativity and so because you feel bad, you stop doing it. And that's actually natural. That's what you should do. Like your body is telling you kind of by making you feel bad, like, hey, you should stop doing this and instead move towards something else. But if you just artificially manufacture or manipulate people's serotonin levels, then it's like you lose that connection with the natural world in some sense. It's like you lose your natural response to like, oh, this isn't something valuable that I'm working toward. My serotonin is telling me that. My body is telling me that. Instead, I'm actually completely tuned out of that because instead I've artificially altered my serotonin levels. And now I'm like, oh, I'm feeling fine moving toward whatever I'm moving toward, regardless of whether or not it's valuable for me. Yeah. I mean, I just heard some trans person giving some kind of talk. I think they were basically saying essentially saying they kind of regret the decision in a way to like become trans or something. Yeah. So they were mm. capitulated to over and over and over again as a child. What do you mean by that? Capitulated to like they were, they were catered to in their psychosis or whatever you want to call it. So I'm a girl or I'm the, whatever. And then just given all the things that would, okay, here's the puberty blockers. Here's this, mm. here's that, here's this. And then later on was like, what the fuck are you doing? I was a fucking child. Like kind of affirmed in an inappropriate way, maybe like no one stopped and, and asked right. questions. And then, or, hmm. and then now the person is like, I'm screwed. Like I can never be, I like you stopped my puberty. Like, so mm -hmm. I can't even, I can't do either one. I can't go can't either go way. Back. Yeah. You can't go either way fully because part of the thing was like, I mean, graphic, but because you stopped puberty, the genitals didn't grow. And so now even if you wanted a transition, there's not even enough there Oh. to even do that transition you know wow. so they're like what the fuck are you doing like you felt badly and pharma gave you all these different solutions quote unquote, quote answers yeah. yeah solutions and that was it was wrong yeah. it was the wrong solutions right. so it didn't even understand the problem right you have a lot of feelings as a, a young person and some people like you were maybe giving people too much credit because you are one of those people who is fairly effective but like it is difficult for me to it's difficult for me to like figure out what to do generally and i can have a lot of negative emotions associated with that mm -hmm. and i can become very easily overwhelmed and this is like very classic add stuff but i think that the cause is from something else mm -hmm. I don't know. You could probably look at it from a million different ways. It could be too much freedom, not enough freedom, not enough, you know, yes. ability to explore. I don't know. Well, that's but, what I would say just generally is like the psychological explanation is like you want that optimal balance of structure. You know, you don't want it too much structure that you have no freedom, but you don't want so much freedom that you 
aren't organized in a direction and moving towards something. And I think that psychologically, that's what anxiety is. It's like the when you're united and you're moving towards something in a direction and all of your efforts are coherent and you're kind of becoming someone and you're on a journey, you know, that's psychological well-being. And I think disorder, when you're drawn in a bunch of different multiplicitous directions, that's anxiety. Like intrins- It's like entropy. Like anxiety is the experience of entropy in your life and your goals. And so, it, yeah, I think that's a good, you know, place to start with people in like a behavioral and sort of psychological intervention. But you never hear that, I feel like, when talking about ADHD and anxiety these days. Unless you're talking to Jordan Peterson, of course. <laughs> well, people will talk. People do talk about it a lot, but there's this thing where like people talk about their quote unquote their thing, like their illnesses now, and it's just blathering about them. Like it's like you look at TikTok, it's like ADD looks like this, and then they just like act out what it look, is like to be ADD, but they don't. Like, what's your point? You know, oh, like, yeah. and That's so it's like this is just thing. how I am. Like I can't hardly manage anything, or this is what anxiety is like. This is what this. Is. And it's like all those things are true on some level, fine, for different people to different extents. But first of all, they're not offering a solution. And second of all, the solution that's proffered is like always the same. It's always a pharmaceutical. It's always a pill. How is the answer to every problem a pill? It's amazing. Who knew? Yeah. I mean, we've gone through a pharmaceutical revolution basically ever since World War II. And it's kind of out of control. And it's the same institutions and the same lineage from the original approaches of like electric shock therapy, lobotomies, uh, isolation, uh, insulin overdose injections, all these different, that's all the same line of work. That's all the same industry, institution. It's a whole family of, it's what science is after all. And it's dirty and creepy and we used to know this, the bad guy used to be like the evil scientist. Now, like if you're some mm. totalitarian nerd psychopath, you're like cool and sexy. And it's like, no, you're not actually. You're a, still a fucking psycho. What you probably are is dissociated from humanity and are willing to experiment on humans, animals, doesn't matter to you. And sure, I get it. People don't want to study on, on humans. But Anthony Fauci did a study where he locked dogs heads in cages with flesh-eating maggots and cut their vocal cords so you couldn't hear them scream and just to do some like pain tolerance work and it's like that's what you guys want that's what you get like that is science that is modern day science at least a portion of it yeah i'm not gonna say that all scientists like that but that is scary yeah all medical science is like that all medical science they hook electrodes to living creatures brains all the time there are monkeys and mice around the world connected to computers through wires in their open skull brains right now in university galore. A hundred percent. You know well, what I mean? Like It might be happening. I wouldn't say that all science is like that, though. Like, I definitely do. I was just listening to something where, you know, they were talking about research being done at Stanford on animals and how they had taken very strong measures to not do that, like to make sure that animals were not being placed in experiments where they didn't want to participate um, and stuff like, for example, they would give animals rewards if they participated, you know, like a smoothie for a monkey if he participates in an experiment. Um, and they were saying, you know, if the monkey for some reason that day doesn't want to do whatever the task is in the experiment for smoothie, then they don't have to do it. You know, they don't force the animal to do it. So I don't think it's all like that. But I do take your point that some of it is like that. And there is 
yeah, a dark center. And, and maybe, too, the weird thing about that is some of those kind of macabre experiments are some of the experience where we learn the most, uh, and that's kind of... At the end of Game of Thrones, spoiler alerts, it's really a million years old at this point. (laughs) There comes a great question at the end of the original HBO series, at least what they show. You know, then there's the extra Mm -hmm. one. I'm not talking about that. That one's a little woke and kind of weird. But at the end of Game of Thrones, you have Jon Snow. He is the bastard son of Ned Stark, is what we think for all this time. But it turns out, ultimately, he's actually a Targaryen. Doesn't matter, but that's the fact. I don't know what it means, but... I did say spoiler alert, right? Okay, so there's another... So the the whole thing, it's in the title. It's all about a game of the throne. Mm -hmm. So there's all these regions, but there's one main place. You know, like if you get to sit on the Iron Throne, you get to be the king of the Seven Realms, yada, yada, yada. And at the end... Right. So what you think is going to happen and what a lot of people for some reason root for is there's this psychopath lady that they call Khaleesi, mother of dragons, breaker of change, whatever. And she's a Targaryen, which was the lineage that sat on the throne a million years ago, whatever. And they had like peace or whatever. But then there was a mad king and he was killed. And ever since then, there's been like all these power struggles for the throne. The Lannisters want it. The Baratheons want it. The, every, everybody wants to sit on the throne. Khaleesi was like Moses. You know, she was like whisked away and didn't get murdered back when she should have been. Hmm. And her and her brother survived. The brother eventually dies. Khaleesi might eventually sit on the throne. And she's got dragons now. And she's coming back. And so they have, you, you kind of start seeing there's this phrase that they say that Varys tells us about that is, Every time a Targaryen is born, the gods roll a dice, roll a die, and the people hold their breath or something like that. It's Mm. basically like 50-50 chance of this person being a psychopath. So she's got to take back the city with the Iron Throne, the Red Keep, basically. And they're like, is she going to be cool? And this question arises, which is basically they're like, don't kill all the people, Khaleesi. Because you don't want to kill all the people. And she's kind of had that vibe. She's been a little murdery, but like a little lenient. You know, like, okay, let's not kill people. I am I free slaves. Like, I'm cool. But they're basically like, don't kill all these people. Because that's the old way. And hmm. you are, your whole thing is you want to do the new way. Like, it's going to be better. And then she starts getting this notion that like, it will be after I do what I need to do. But then the people that care are like, but that's not that's not what we're doing. No one that's following you now is following you for those reasons. Like all your closest powerful allies, like your basically your knights and your big families, whatever, they don't really exist for her because she's kind of like up and coming, but she has these people surrounding her and all of them are like, this is not what you're trying to do. Like you can't do this. You cannot kill all these people. You've got to do it the right way. That's the whole thing you're doing, is doing it differently. You're not going to be violent. You're going to bring time of peace, all this stuff. Mm, Anyway, mm. instead, she kills them all anyways, burns the whole city down, just like the Mad King was going to do, which is why he got killed. Okay, what's my point? Big Pharma, science, this god of science, all sorts of politicking is going on. She's got to make deals. She's got to be lenient. She's got to give mercy. Sometimes she's got to be strong, whatever. But ultimately, the new world that she wanted to build 
was underneath this umbrella that like when I build this new world, you all say it's going to be on a pile of corpses. And that's that may or may not be true. But imagine how good it will be. Because you know that once I get there, then I won't do that anymore. Mm, mm. Even in my whole thing was, because this is why I said, why do people think that she should, this is good. Like people that watch, you know, I, my, I, from very early, I'm like, this chick's a problem. I, I could tell, like, even if she does win, like, I, I will feel like the bad guy won. Like basically. the end doesn't justify the means sort of thing. And for her, it totally did. Mm. And I don't think you can think that way. I think that there's something creepy especially if you're going to exalt it to the level of basically a religion or a god or some fundamentally good thing that's built our modern society and has brought so much i mean that is how people talk about the medical industry but the medical industry and they have done good things just like khaleesi did free slaves Hmm. but that's like separate you know like that's something that can be done differently Hmm. you know what i'm saying like she freed the slaves violently, but the sla- she just told the slaves, like, free yourselves. I'm here mm. to support you. Come follow Interesting. me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It reminds me of the debate kind of between the, the Malcolm X's and the Martin Luther King's or whatever. Like, we, you know, it's like there was a big debate over, like, how what was the best way to advocate for black people's rights in America? And some people thought it was violence, you know? It, we should take violent protests and whatnot. And and then there was the but it comes down to movement. T- but there's, like, a spirit of of what's going on. So like civil war, bad ending slavery. Good. Those somehow are always am- amalgamated into some monster that did never even existed by cherry picking on both sides, evidence of their theory or the opposite view, you know, like, Oh, it was about states rights. No, it was always about, here's a speech where Lincoln said it's all about slavery here. Well, on the other side they go, well, here's a speech where Lincoln said he hates black people and he wants them all to get the hell out of this country. Hmm. So which Lincoln are we talking about? Because the story is bullshit, brings us to that quote. There is no history, only biographies. Who said that? That's what it basically means. Ralph Waddle Emerson. Because mm. basically any history is written from a perspective or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like there's mm. no, you don't know history. You know your life. That's all you know. Right, right. Or you know you stories know, about history. You know stories yeah. about stuff. Right. Yeah. So my point, I, let me just tie it back so people don't think I'm <laughs> always having to represent the psycho portion of social psycho even though I am, is that, so to say like, well, science isn't that, but we need to keep, we need to keep exalting science, even though it did this stuff because now we're better. It's like, no, we're not. But human nature, no, we're not. Like, I don't even need to finish the sentence. No, okay. it's not better. Well, it, yeah. And even if it is better, it is, do you feel comfortable standing on that, that mountain of, of debauchery or whatever you want to call it, of depravity? Yeah. I don't. Well, it's almost, I don't know what to think of it, because on some level, it reminds me of that Nietzsche quote, and it's like, who will cleanse us of the blood uh, of the ground that we stand on or something? Uh, mm. Like, the, kind of like history is bloody, and it's always been bloody, and there's sort of no way around that. Like, there's just, there's always been conflict and always been sin and always been people who've fallen short, and, and here we are because of that, Um and yeah, that's a, a difficult thing to deal with, I think. But yeah, to your point, I think I'm almost like, is it just idealistic? Like to say that, oh, well, we, you know, we could have a science that's free of, you know, moral wrongdoing or like we don't have to do these morally wrong experiments or whatnot. Um, 
and there's another way, there's a better way. And maybe that's true. Um, but then I also think maybe it's not kind of practical. Maybe it's not real. Maybe the, that ideal can't be made manifest. Um, kind of what we were talking about the other episode, like there's a difference between the ideal and the possible almost. And yeah, I don't, I don't know because I, I want to agree with you and say that like, yeah, we could definitely, you know, not have done things like the Stanford prison experiment or whatever, which got really crazy or, you know, experiments kind of what you were talking about where we've abused animals or And whatever. I heard that that was full of shit too, that they were fucking around with data and saying shit that wasn't true mm. in the conclusion. Like there was all sorts of problems with that down the road and we always find that out. Because we're all because we're people, like you know, like people are people. People like, lie. That's the people, yeah, exactly. People do all sorts of stuff. So I think that's the problem. Is really for me the problem with science is like you, this elevation of them. Like mm. Kim's afraid to go to the doctor, you know, because they might do something she doesn't want to. And I'm like, you know what? Never happens to me at the doctor. Things I don't want to happen because I don't go in there thinking that they're special. I just assume I'm smarter than they are. And that's a healthy way to approach it because you are smarter than them. You know you better than they know you. Right. Or at least assume that you're an equal, like you're both just people and you know you yeah. better than you. I mean, there's pl yeah. plenty of people go to doctors that are way cooler than their doctor, that have way more money, that have way more successful, that do a way better, more helpful job that just, you know what I'm saying? It's like there's that person is better. I'm just, I'm dumbing this down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That person is better than the doctor. Wait, there's lots of people Anybody, anyone that you could go, you can have a doctor because you need one because they prescribe you some cream for your rash or whatever, sure, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. your some cream for your toe, your toe, <laughs> yellow toenail or whatever. You know what I mean? Like something that the doctor can give you, but you don't go in there assuming people do, but you should not go in there assuming that there's anything special about them. Did you know doctors have absolutely zero reason to wear a white lab coat, but they do anyways, a lot of times? There's mm. no reason for that. They wear that because it makes them feel special. You know how I know this? Because I, when I do stuff in the mushroom lab and I put on rubber gloves, which is not necessary. I have the book on growing, the Bible on growing mushrooms here, Paul Stamets. He's like, you don't have to wear rubber gloves. He's like, here, just do these sterile techniques. And I don't do it for this reason. I do it because I'm a dirty person. I'm constantly in the garden. I forget that what I've done. So I'm just like, I'll just put the gloves on and then I sanitize the gloves. But when I'm wearing the gloves, I feel very scientific. But I'm just some dumbass redneck that has nothing going for them that just has a hobby. And, you know, sometimes I use Petri dishes. Do you yeah. know how fucking cool I am <laughs> because I use those? Like that's, I'm so cool. Well, and like, a doctor is yeah. so cool because they have a stethoscope on their around their shoulder and a lab coat and it has their name embroidered in it. They got their name embroidered in it because that's how special they feel. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I don't care. All that's cool. That's fine. Let them do that. I don't even care. <laughs> but you don't fucking give them anything more than they deserve because of it. Uh, it is impressive. I trust my doctor to have a conversation with me. But my, I'll tell you what, if you have a, an actual conversation with your doctor, you will find out they don't know a shitload. And honestly, if you have a good doctor, they know they don't know. Yeah. They'll, you'll yeah. tell them something like, I got to look into that. Like, I'm not really sure. I've never heard that before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, because I did that when I went in for the, during COVID, not for COVID, but during it, I was like, what's going on here? Like, have you heard of this thing? You know, like, because I I've told my doctor about Agenda 20, or uh, Event 201. Mm-hmm. In the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, do you know about event 201? Like, have you just, I'm just curious, like, 
because it was all we had right when it started. I'm like, you should maybe just, it's been about three days. You've already changed your entire office structure and everything is new and you're acting like a psycho. I just was curious if you had heard of this thing where they said you would do this uh, and they said that you would do this when they did the next pandemic a month ago. They said this and now you're doing that. I just, I don't know if you might be interested in that. Yeah, send me a link. I've never heard of anything like that before. And I was like, okay. So they don't know. Mm-hmm, there are mm-hmm. things they do know. There's some like fundamental stuff with, with doctors that are great. I'm just this is like a doctor appreciation and bashing at the same time because <laughs> I've had I've had different doctors look at the same problem and do different things. I, sure, I, I, yeah. I think I said this last time I went to my doctor recent, not too terribly long ago. And I was like, what is this problem I'm having? And it was vi- it was a visible problem. And they were like, that's no problem. That should be fine soon. It'll just go away on its own. There's really not much you can do about it. If it gets too bad, you know, we can think about some other options, but it's no problem. You know, it's common. I was like, okay. Uh, three days later, I was. it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I had already called somebody to bring me a morphine pill. I took the whole morphine pill, felt absolutely zero relief from that, noticed not a single thing, was rushed to the emergency room, and had a surgery that day, and then had another surgery three months later because the situation was quite dire. But my doctor was like, that's just this normal thing. I see it all the time. You never see this. Clearly you've never seen this before. You just told me you had seen something that I was literally. And so the doctor in the, in the hospital, he, he literally was so sure of what he was seeing. He goes, yeah, that's buddy. (laughs) <laughs> like immediately, like didn't even think about it. it. Was like, yeah, that's that's not what your doctor said it was. Like that's oh a problem. Oh my god! He was like, I can't. This looks really painful. I cannot believe you waited this long. That's like, the second thanks. doctor. That was the doctor at the ER. Yeah, who clearly mm-hmm. has seen this before. But and so that doctor was cool. It's kind of like having a broken leg. Like there's a huge difference between a broken leg and taking a pill to lose weight. You know what I'm saying? There's a huge difference between uh, impacted molar and depression or chest pain. You know, some of that stuff is way more obvious. And Mm -hmm, it's like, mm -hmm. it is all the same in a way. It's the same people. And you can't really fault them for thinking they know things when they had to go somewhere to learn the things that they know. And someone told them things. Like, I learned that Descartes was full of shit in philosophy, basically. But as I thought on my own, I was like, I don't know. I think Descartes was not full of shit. I think he thought this stuff through. It was pretty interesting. I was taught that Immanuel Kant was outdated and kind of problematic in the way he thought. But Immanuel Kant is one of the most complicated philosophers you'll ever read. And it's very interesting. Some of the stuff, really, if you revisit it, you will realize we've definitely moved beyond this in a way. But at the same time, I don't know if we actually answered any of this. We just kind of dismissed it. And you know what you also will find? Hmm. If you decide to go get a philosophy degree, I can tell you which philosophers you will read and which philosophy from those philosophers you will read. And Hmm. so you'll read a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You'll read Hegel and this. But you're not going to read about how like some of these philosophers also thought that like magic was real and that, uh, you know, like weird other interdimensional concepts that they had 
They just don't tell you that stuff, which right. they don't. maybe they don't need to because it's not part of the story they're telling you. They're telling you the story of Western philosophical thought. Why would they tell yeah. you about the shit that they borrowed from Eastern religions that they don't really buy into here? There's no need to learn that. We don't even talk about that. I, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a thing. You could do that on your own. When you get your PhD, you can study that, you know, if that's interesting to you. But it's not really a thing we do. And it's like, okay – yeah. But recognize that that's how stuff is for real. Like, it's really like that. No, it's so true. I learned recently watching the NDE thing that there were like prominent psychologists and scientists who were trying to figure out what was going on with like near death experiences and mediums. It, would, and... it wouldn't it have to be that way. <laughs> it would otherwise it would be like, I think ghosts are real. Well, I don't think they're real. Okay. <laughs> right. So scientists were like, we got to figure this out. Like, we're going to go look yeah. into it. <laughs> so uh, otherwise, it's just friends going like, but I had an experience and I know a guy. He told me he saw a ghost. It's like, okay, then. Is that all? Great. But that's not how so- medicine and stuff, you know, that's not how that stuff. Right, right. We're not well, hyper obsessed with it because nobody thought it was interesting. No, really prominent people thought it was interesting because because prominent people had leisure to think about the sh- the stuff, the rest of the people were like, so Phineas Gage, great example, the guy who had the railroad rod blow through his brain, and it taught us a lot about the brain. Hmm. Because Phineas Gage was doing what everyone usually does, or used to do, which was hard labor, nail, use Working. a jackhammer yeah. and dynamite to blast steel rods into the ground so that the Vanderbilts can build their trains and get really rich. But then... You have the guy who's the guys who studied him and decided they wanted to write books about him and interview him and figure out, talk to all of his friends and figure out what the fuck happened. This guy had a, a nail or a rod blow through his skull and was fine, hmm. but his personality changed. And so you have this group of people who have the leisure to look into the stuff and they're prominent people and they're deep thinkers. And that has changed over time, but it's changed over time. You, it wouldn't have changed over time if it would have stuck with some of those weirder things. But some of the weirder things fell off. Some of the weirder things stayed. Einstein's stuff is weird. Sure. You know, we don't even know about that stuff. We're like physicists and stuff are some of the more they when you hear them talk like on Joe Rogan, you're like, these are some of the most except for that black guy. What's his name? Neil deGrasse Tyson. Except for him. A lot of these physicists are very open minded. They sound like woo woo almost, you know. They're like, well, I'm not an astro- astrologer. I'm an astronomer. But also, I've been looking into interdimensional beings and aliens. And you're like, wow, that's really fascinating. Yeah. Because you're prominent. And I think they can get away with it because the amount of people that go into those fields is so tiny. And people kind of think of them like philosophers. They're like, and you're doing what exactly? Yeah. Well, well math equations, you know, are, are you doing experiments? Well, it's hard to do experiments. You have to build stadium-sized electronics that take up entire cities and possibly cause cancer to everything around them. But yes, we are kind of trying to figure stuff out. And we talk to each other because no one else understands what the fuck we're saying because it involves words that you've never heard before sure, and concepts yeah. that, if you asked me to explain, would take six months for you to ever even begin to grasp an understanding of how E equals MC squared. Like, you don't understand that? Well, let me explain E. Okay, what sure. is energy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, energy well, is this. It's measured. This. I mean, it's like this whole complicated thing that silos them off. And medicine does that too. They name all their shit Latin words, but it's a bigger field and it's profitable and a lot of people go into it. And what? You know, you just have to, I let me calm down and just say, I'm just saying Adderall, Big Pharma, the medical institution 
has its value, but it should be looked at with scrutiny maybe <laughs> one eye should be squinting pretty hard and an sure, eyebrow should yeah. be raised going what are you doing no i totally agree with you on that point i think yeah i want to defend scientists because i think to your point kind of like the physicists you know i don't think they're all talking nonsense i think yeah they're just studying particular things and yeah. and you end up coming with terms and i've whatnot. literally just held up a book by a scientist that i highly respect so right yeah and so i think i clearly appreciate it yeah, two good scientists are kind of open-minded and whatnot. And that's what I appreciate about really great physicists and whatnot. Like, you know, they'll say things like, we don't really know what's going on with antimatter or we don't understand this. And they'll say really interesting things like, we can't explain why or the behavior of electrons. You know, they're like, we look at electrons and we're like, there's a lot of questions we have about what is going on. Um, and so that's really cool. But then I think, yeah, to your point, I think elevating the science, like as a religion above everything else, is, yeah, problematic. Like I literally was watching this show on Netflix, or not Netflix, it was on Apple TV or Apple Plus, whatever the hell that subscription is called. Shout um, out Apple Plus. Yeah. <laughs> Very <laughs> weird programming on that subscription. I don't recommend it, um, except for one show called C, which is amazing. Uh, but the, the letter C or? C-S-E-E. Um, ah, if you really want to watch a good show, watch that show. It will change your life. But they had this other show called Foundation where at some point someone says, uh, I'm not going to spoil anything. They just say, it's not me saying this. It's the science. And I just thought. I've heard actual scientists <laughs> say that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, my God. This is the kind of thinking that I think you're kind of picking up on that is really problematic because you actually can't take the scientists out of the science because any inquiry, scientific inquiry, begins with a person being interested in that thing, having questions, which involves having a bias and having hypotheses that, like, you personally think. Um, and the facts that are become relevant to you are, like, relevant to you, like, you as the observer. So, like, it, it's involved so highly with you as the scientist. And so to say that, like, it's just the science that's telling me this is like, no, of course it's not that, like. You and are bringing you, something to the science. Yeah. And I think people, when they depersonalize it, then they allow themselves to elevate the science to a position that's illegitimate. And I think you have to recognize the human element in science, that these are people doing this, which is kind of your point, and that people are just as flawed as you, and that you are a person too. And it, as, as you can do amazing things, scientists can do amazing things. But as you are flawed and you can do nefarious things as well, Scientists can also do nefarious things, and we've seen them do nefarious things, so we should be skeptical. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like, the Alzheimer's research that just came out that was fraudulent. It's like, that's so sad. I mean, we had a grandmother who suffered with Alzheimer's, and to know that, like, people were out there and a whole medical establishment was built on fraudulent research, like, what the hell? Like, that ruined probably a lot of people's lives. You know, or that's Vi terrible. the Vioxx scandal or any number of scandals where the medical community comes up with a medication, it kills a million people, and then they go, we didn't know it was going to do that. It's literally then, the third leading cause of death in the country today. It's like medical well, side effects well, or the, whatever. With the Vioxx thing, they found out, oh, you did know. You know, like that happens all the time. Right, the, oh, we didn't right. know this bad thing. was. Same thing with the opioid. We didn't know they were addictive. What? Of course you did. We've known that opium is addictive for like 5,000 years. And so you took opium, made it 10 times stronger and said, we didn't think it was going to be addictive. What the fuck are you talking about? 
you did experiments. You can kill rats with it very easily. Right. You know, like, and you have McKinsey in- consultants giving you presentations on like we should be leveraging the you know addictive qualities of this drug to blah 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 and prescribe yes. it to people and, so and run ads and it's like what are we talking about? That's just what happens. You have yeah. to recognize the society that you live in. This isn't communism because communism isn't good because communism doesn't work because communism works if everyone's amazing and an angel and all that kind of stuff. Which right. brings me to an interesting point about this book, but. Since it doesn't work that way, you have to recognize that money does a lot, has a lot of power, and it a power over industry and people's hearts, and yeah. that's a big deal. So you have to recognize that the same company that can produce something – I think Adderall's cool. I'd rather take Adderall than meth because right. I don't know how the drug cartels make meth, and I know that like – if I die from meth, no, the cartel does not get in trouble. If I die from Adderall, at least there's a glimmering, minute speck of a chance that somehow they could be held accountable. Yeah. Or that at least yeah. I could at least point to it and go, well, look, I'm a normal person. My life's normal. The only thing I did was took this pill and it made me have a heart attack. Okay. I'm just saying. And they And then they go and they put it in the side effects. Could cause a heart attack. It's rare, but it does happen. And that's how we know. Otherwise, the pharmaceutical companies wouldn't tell you all that shit that they could possibly kill. You know, they're like, this anti-diarrheal could give you diarrhea so bad you die. And it's like, (laughs) well, that's interesting. Why are you telling me that? It seems like that's really not a good selling point. But they have to tell you because it happens. And that's at least a glimmer of hope. That's a good thing. It's not all corrupt. It's not all bad. Yeah. But there's a lot of. And so you've got to be wary of it. You got to know. Know that you live in a capitalist society. And just like if you had a business, it happens all the time. Everybody comes under this feeling of like, how can I cut corners a little bit? How can I increase profits a little bit? You know, you go, I wanted to be an organic farmer, but everything's fucking up and I can't get the money out of it. And the crops keep getting destroyed by pests. And then you try to figure out the best way you can do it. And you might end up using some kind of pesticide. It's natural, but even that's not really that great. And you really can't call it organic, but you might kind of want to still call it organic. You know, and you'll have those temptations to be like, to still say, no, mine's better. This is new and this is the best stuff. I get that. Like, I feel that way about some things that I do. Yeah. Like, I've grown pot before. Not ever. (laughs) Like, yeah, like, I'm just saying when I was a child and, you know, I was like, I'm amazing. Like, this is the best you could get. But I used chemical fertilizer. I didn't even think about it, you know? Mm. And it was like, yeah, mine was the same. Yeah. I didn't spray bug killer on it, but I did. I just convinced myself even that I had done something extra beyond what I actually did. You know, I'm like, I did a great thing. Cause you just have that sensation of be like, look what I, you know, you really could become quite convinced of what you're doing. Yeah. Like a little self delusion, maybe over hyping yeah. yourself. Yeah. But you were going to make a point about this book. Is this the fourth well, turning book? I haven't gotten, I don't know if they're going to go into this, but one interesting, I've been looking for this quote because I just wanted to throw you a bone because there's a Carl Jung quote in here. Oh my God. Yes. Find it. Here it is. I'll just read this paragraph. Maybe it'll highlight it. In the modern era, the quaternal seasonality of the human life cycle has remained, which is like childhood, adolescence, early adulthood, late uh, elderly, mm-hmm. or whatever. So like you have these four seasons, you have four times in life or this very time oriented book. The four turnings, literally. The four turnings, yes. <laughs> it's it's really a cool book. Like it's really I'm I'm actually quite impressed with the 
you know, like a comedy, a good comedy, a lot of times they'll try to end it with a joke that like calls back to something. So it's like, mm. oh, there was a thread the whole time. Yeah. They're very good at like pulling that thread through and like showing you how the thread is going through the fabric. Like, look, it's the same thing, right? Oh, oh, seasons. Oh, your lifetime. Mm. And you're like, oh, that's a stretch. I don't know. And then they're like, no, let me, they like know that they have to explain that to you and stitch this whole pattern together. And cause I thought I was going to quickly be like, no, no, no. Cause this is too parsimonious. Or too to grand. Really be a, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's too grand and too simple. Like parsimonious mm, yeah, meaning yeah. like it's too it's too perfect. You're leaving something out. Like mm. what what's the thing that disproves your theory? I'll yeah. find it. But they're doing a really good job. But here's a little paragraph. I don't know if it says anything, but in the modern era, the quaternal seasonality of the human life cycle has remained a constant in literature, philosophy, and psychology. Quote Metaphorically, everyone understands the connections between the seasons of the year and the seasons of the human life, writes sociologist Daniel. Uh, Livingston. Another quote, each has its necessary place and contributes its special character to the whole. It is an organic part of the total cycle linking past and future and containing both within itself. Carl Jung similarly describes the arc of life as divisible into four parts. Oh, that's not the quote I was looking for, but there is a Carl Jung quote for you at least. Hmm. So even young, have you come to this in your readings? The, arc, the four arc, the arcs, or the uh, arc of life is dividable by four. I haven't heard uh, the four part, but I do know he thinks of life in an arc. He has a poetic bit about that, actually, kind of like uh, you're like the sun, and there's a midday in your life, and there's a rising and a receding, um, and that's an interesting framing. And he talks about a lot of psychopathy through that lens, actually, especially like midlife crisis. And so he says, you know, some of the explains some of the problems and experiences just in general that people encounter later in life through this kind of lens that like the proper orientation toward the later half of life is to like, he says, illuminate the self, like the sun illuminates itself, like before it rises and it spreads its light and sheds light on everything. And so there's like this coming and kind of extension out into the world, the sun, you know, and then... The sun is crazy because it produces light. Right, and then it recedes down into the sunset and it's like, and it's just beautiful and the sun kind of like, you just see the sun and everything else is in shadow. And um, and so he is saying that it's kind of like a psychological phenomenon there too. And And if people reject that or try to continue that, rising energy like I just want to keep extending the self and expanding my my consciousness and expanding everything and my reach um then he's like that's an improper attitude to have in your later half of life is that actually that later half of life is for self-reflection and for whatnot uh or leadership it's in this and leadership this book, but yeah so here, let me read you this is this is I think this is the paragraph that contains this interesting thing that kind of summarizes where I'm at now and also points out something that I hope he revisits or they, it's written by two guys. I hope they revisit it because it's a really interesting notion. Like if they explain this thing that I'm about to describe, then I might be satisfied because it's it's exactly the kind of thing that I would think might disprove the theory. Because you would say, well, what if X? Like what if this didn't happen? Or what if this did happen? And they give a what if, and I hope they give the explanation. They say what would happen, but I need... They need to like explain it as well as they're explaining everything else. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. they're explaining their theory, but there's like this little thing that's like kind of the anti theory or the opposite outcome 
of what they're claiming has happened, but it's still within the opposite outcome is within their theory. But I'm like, yeah, but why hasn't that happened? So listen here. Hmm. Um, and this is, I, I, this book depresses me too, by the way. <laughs> oh, I'm no. a depressive kind of person. Anyways, I'm a very, I'm an optimistic de- depressive type, I think, or something <laughs> like that. I'm going to cut that and put it at the beginning. <laughs> Good. Because I am always like, as I get older, I cannot wait till you get to my age. And then I can ask you if you're having this experience. Because what I feel like is that I'm going nowhere fast, Mm. you know, and it's freaking me out and it makes me feel really hopeless. And like, I'm never going to like, we're looking at buying a house, even like, even it it folds into every aspect of my life. So I'm like, I looked at these homes and I'm like, dude, we can get one of these houses for like 60, 70 grand. And it'd be like, so doable. And Kim's like, we'll get a fucking job. Or start making money. Not, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I know. Like, I know that that pressure is already on me so intensely. And I'm like, because I could go get money like I used to. But I'm trying to do something else. And it's helping a lot, me being here. Because we have a lot of shit going on. We're about to have two sheep. You know, it's like, I got to do a lot of stuff. So it freaks me. It just, it weighs on me really heavily. Anyways, this book being all about life cycles and like the times of life and a human life cycle is just, I'm like, I'm not any of these fucking things, man. I suck. So anyways, mm. among generations born afterwards, they're talking about World War II. So among generations born afterwards, the symbolic memory of the epic war keeps resonating, but with dampening echoes as GIs, which is a generation like a millennial basically, but it's not a millennial. It's just an, it's like a name for a generation, the GI generation. Hmm. So it went the missionary generation, lost generation, GI generation, silent generation, the boomers, the 13th, and then the millennials. And then now we have Gen Z, but that was not in here at that point. Okay, so among generations born afterwards, the symbolic memory of that epic war keeps resonating, but with dampening echoes. As GIs passed into retirement, the 13th generation came of age without heroes in amid adult criticism for allegedly having forgotten the war era sense of community. Today's child millennials will be the last generation to have much personal contact with G.I. Joe and Rosie the Riveter, whose old civic values are being freshly emphasized by families, schools, churches, and the media. When I'm guessing he means at the time this is written. By the time the next generation arrives, World War II will be pure history, as distant from the lives their lives as the Civil War was for the child silent. What happens as a great event and its echoes fade with the passage of time? In a traditional society, nothing. Absent another great event, generations gradually disappear. 21 years afterwards, only three distinct generations shaped by the event remain alive. After 42 years, only two remain. After 63 years, only those who were then children can recall it. And after 84 years, only a few raspy voices survived to convey personal memories of bygone glories. By then, social inertia will have nudged people of all ages back to the pre-generational life cycle. In countless ancient epics, this is where the falling curtain of time puts an end to the saga. That's the interesting part. And then I'll read just so you know how it turns. In a modern society, however... New great events keep occurring, and with great regularity. These are the solstices of the saculum, crises and awakenings. Through five centuries of Anglo-American history, no span of more than 50 years, the duration of two phases of life, have ever elapsed without the occurrence of a crisis or an awakening. 
Every generation has thus been shaped by either a crisis or an awakening during one of its first two phases of life and has encountered both a crisis and an awakening at some point throughout its life cycle. Hmm. Interesting, right? So my the thing that I find interesting is that this concept that if you don't have one of these events take place, it all disappears. This like generational kind of cyclical thing seems to kind of go away. Hmm. And he calls it a pre-generational society, which I feel like probably indicates is where I need some explanation, a very stagnant society. So like I would think of like an Indian, like how we think of like Indian tribes pre-colonial times. Like why were they still in teepees? Why did they still, how come they hadn't had the kinds of advancements we had had? And it's like, well, because they weren't having massive geopolitical crises constantly and you know, they had wars between, but there were some more isolated, some more war, warring, some less warring. And so that kind of vision we have of those like less warring, peaceful Indian tribes, I think maybe that's the kind of thing that happens where everyone's kind of very communal. Everyone definitely still has their life phases, kind of. Like there'll be like rites of passage and stuff, and they're like lingering maybe of traditions, but sans an extra event, crisis, that that will stay like that that the stability will remain and great changes won't actually occur. That's how I took it. Hmm. I don't know. So, yeah, that bit seems questionable to me. It seems improbable almost. Like how could you stop the turnings or stop the change? You know, stability just seems unnatural. Imagine the difference between Western countries, industrialized countries, and non-industrialized. From the industrialized point of view like we're in, we look at them and go, well, one day they'll get here. They obviously all want to. And then we describe them as like third world and squalor and crime ridden and dirty and gross and horrible. And it's like, do you think if it was that bad, wouldn't people like make the necessary adjustments for it to not be squalor? And I think mm. that there are corrupt places. There are places like India, maybe where it's a little corrupt, the caste system kind of is what is stagnating things for a lot of the people that are in poverty. They're not allowed in different ways to excel, but there's other countries that aren't so much like that. And like, we visit them, you know what I mean? Like on vacation mm -hmm. sometimes like I, Hawaii doesn't need skyscrapers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something to it. I just found it to be an interesting take on, it's almost like he's implying that the crises kind of propel things. And I would say that's probably true. Yeah, well, yeah, it's almost like tautological, like change is what causes change almost is kind of like the argument there. Um, well, and I think too, like one of the conclusions is that the generation that saw war, so they'll age into somebody with like a sense of like glory or hubris or something like that, like pride or whatever, but also less likely to think we should have another one real soon. Yeah, maybe also reverence for war and human right. life. Yeah. And those without having actually participated in war or maybe and like had seen some war, but like it wasn't like we've had those kind of wars where it didn't affect some people too badly, that those people are more war hungry, which is interesting. So like you can actually yeah, identify yeah. these dynamics that would once you have that crisis, like it's like a setup for other problems coming down the pike because you have all these different, very different generations of very different groups that have very different experiences with one another. Yeah, that's kind of what I was, I feel like we were saying last time. It's like the people who 
remember things um, when they die off. It's like, well, then there's no one left to communicate the lessons from those experiences. And so then maybe we end up making the same mistakes or doing the same things, not that they're mistakes or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I, that part sounds, you'll have to come back and tell us more because I, I'm a big fan of the cycle. I don't know how you could have a society without the cycles. It's almost inconceivable to me. Yeah. I don't think it's common. Like even in the third world countries, like I hate using that term, but like countries that we would conceive of in the West, you know, it's maybe third world. Even they have revolutions and conflict and there's lots of change. Uh, I think we can see it from afar and think, oh, it's, you know, it's just like this. But like, I mean, Sudan, just one example where they've gone through a lot of change. I mean, they literally had like a civil war and then they broke into two countries and now they're having more conflict recently. I think, yeah. I think it's hard to draw the lines these days because the empires have their fingers in every freaking conflict ev- around the world, you know. Yeah. We're either giving them arms, supporting rebel groups, or helping defeat rebel I mean, it's just like... And so I think that it's hard to f- find... Maybe we could think of like Inuit or something. Just some people in some place where we don't even want to go. You know, and they do their own thing. They're not having wars and crises and stuff. You know, it's like a crisis is like shit. We didn't catch a whale. Right. But maybe they're having it in some, you know, other way. I would suspect it's like, you know, there's probably a revolution of the culture over time and that changes. And maybe there's crises over what's allowed and not allowed and what's considered normative and right. You know, I mean, that's just kind of natural. I imagine that that stuff just happens because kids are different than their parents and times change and you know, like back in the day, we didn't go over to those lands. Those were bad lands. And one day someone's like, because it's not allowed, I have the adventurous spirit to go and explore. And and then I find out the bad lands aren't so bad. And now I'm making the bad lands acceptable. And you know, so that's also a form of change. You probably end up fomenting a war, though. You go out there, you, find, you go, oh, we can go out there. OK, let's go. And then you bump up against the other people and you're like, well, we got to kill these fools because they're uh, barbarians. So, yeah. Or, yeah, and then a crisis. It's hard then, to avoid yeah. the, the, exactly. the cycle, that's for sure. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Anyway, well, with that, we'll catch you next time.